topic of our demo talk this evening is uh, uh, the taste of freedom. We in the Pani scriptural language. And so, uh, there are a number of passages in which we find certain mention of this rasa two from the Anguchanikaya and certainly then one from the commentary from one of the commentaries. And certainly then there are also quite a number of references to liberation itself. Now, Wimuti means release, deliverance, emancipation, freedom, and Satna Rasa is Satna your taste or essence or function. And so, so when we combine you know, these two, Wimuti Rasa, it becomes Satna the taste of Satna freedom. Now, the talk. Uh, will be based on a text written and published by Bhikkhu Bodhi of the same title, published as Bodhi Leaves, text number 71. And I will make use of the framework and then try to express certain things in my own words. Now, for decades and for centuries, there has been a struggle going on in different countries for political freedom. And a recent example for this would be Nepal itself. And previously, Nepal was known as the Kingdom of Nepal, and it had a king. And then, for a period of about 10 years, 10 to 12 years, the Maoist started an insurgency, and one of their stated goals was to overthrow that certain kingdom. And eventually, together with other political forces, they managed to do just that. And there a huge mass of people and certain estimates at the time were of about certain one over one million people had certain well had amassed or got together around certain the royal palace and certain they were ready to storm the royal palace. Of course, the king had all the protection, various means of protection at his disposal. Yet, in the end, there was nothing much left for him to do. 
uh, he first uh, tried, he gave a public address in the first case and tried to persuade people, but the general public was not convinced. And then eventually the pressure of civil society just kept mounting more and more and eventually he had to renounce his role as the king of Nepal. And so this then was for the Maoists and other political groups a major victory and uh, it was uh, a case of uh, gaining uh, freedom, freedom in a political sense. Now, in many other fields, have human beings worked towards freedom? And other examples would be the attempt to do away with the caste system or with slavery. And then even in the field of religions, there has been a development towards questioning the doctrines that have been proposed by the different religious schools. And so nothing is taken by mere faith anymore, and certain people want to find out themselves, they want to experience for themselves, and then learn and come to see that something is really true or not. And so, um, the fact that certainly some you know, priest or you know, some other you know, representative, you know, religious representative, is certainly you know, stating a certain doctrine does not necessarily mean uh, that it is certainly you know, correct. And certainly, so uh, there is much you know, questioning you know, going on. Also, in you know, the field of poetry, a development towards free verse has certainly taken place, or when we think of painting, then there the development has been at least partially towards abstract expression. And then in the field of music, the development has been one towards greater freedom of expression and thus the creation of atonal compositions. And so in many different ways have human beings tried to gain more liberty, more freedom. Now, in 
a democracy in a democratic country, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of action, freedom of movement. These have become well common achievements, and certain as the people. Hold certain these certain values in high uh, esteem. Now, when it comes certain to the Buddha's certain teachings, then he offers teachings that have been called liberation teachings, and certain these certain teachings. Even though they are over 2,500 years old, they, they are valid today as much as they were valid over 2,500 years ago. And they will continue to remain valid in the future. Now, There is an, a simile here, namely, just as in the great ocean there is but one taste, namely the taste of salt, so too in this doctrine and discipline, Dhamma Vinaya, there is but one taste, namely the taste of freedom. And when one samples water taken from the surface of the ocean or from the middling region or from its very depths, the taste of ocean water will be in all cases the same, namely that of salt. And the same thing goes if we drink just a small amount of ocean water or, let's say, a larger amount or a very large amount, it's, the taste will boil down to the same thing, namely the taste of footness salts. Likewise, the teachings of Futna the Buddha, whether we follow these only to a little extent or whether we pursue them with more, with somewhat more, well, with more commitment or with utmost that in commitment will be the same, namely that of freedom. Now, when we practice the Dhamma at an elementary level, then this consists in doing things like performing acts of generosity, dana, and then observing, taking and observing precepts. 
And certainly we also uh, might certainly express certainly our uh, commitment uh, by, uh, let's say, uh, acts of uh, bowing and certainly offering uh, maybe some flowers, etc. Now, when uh, the the Buddha's teachings are you know, practiced at an intermediate certain level, you know, then you know, we might certainly practice you know, mental you know, development, certain bhavana. So you know, we might you know, train in calm samatha you know, and or in vipassana you know, and insight, certain meditation. And so when we commit ourselves uh, wholeheartedly to the practice, then we may enter, we gain supramundane knowledge and certain deliverance. Then in all three cases, the taste of the practice of the Dhamma will be one and the same, namely that of the taste of freedom. And how much should we benefit from the practice, from following the Buddha's teachings, will very much depend on our level of commitment, our level of wanting to, or actually to engage. And so the more we give ourselves certain to the practice, the more we will get certain out of it. If we practice with just a little bit of commitment, little, very little benefit will be there. If we practice with more commitment, more benefit certainly will arise. And certainly then if we practice with utmost commitment and certainly if we are practicing wholeheartedly, then we will gain the Dhamma in its to a maximum degree. Now, when it comes to uh, the uh, teachings of uh, the liberation teachings of uh, the Buddha, uh, there is an interesting uh, aspect uh, to uh, be noted. Namely, in order uh, to uh, gain uh, liberation, we are uh, required uh, to uh, take upon ourselves a certain uh, discipline such as uh, you know, getting up at uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning, such as uh, you know, restraint of uh, the senses, and uh, such as uh, um, you know, then obs carefully observing you know, the eight uh, precepts. And so then the question might arise, how come that in order to gain liberation, we need to curtail our freedom to do and to say whatever we like and to think whatever we like. Is this not 
uh, is this not, um, well, an, a contradiction? Now, it may seem like a contradiction at certain first, but in the end, uh, it is not necessarily the case. Now, to understand this certain point certain better, we need to make an important distinction, namely between freedom as a license and certain freedom as certain spiritual autonomy. Now, freedom as certain a license could also be referred to as freedom to do, which means that you have the freedom to do whatever you like, you have the freedom to say whatever you like, the freedom of work, the freedom of movement, and so on. And so these, and certainly it also it means that you can then you you can act on your impulses, your desires, and your passions. Now, different from this is freedom as spiritual autonomy, and certainly what do you think this could certainly possibly be? What's that? Yes. Freedom from external conditions. And uh, what about internal conditions? Ah. So the second one, freedom as a spiritual autonomy is uh, the more in the sense of freedom from. And certain freedom here, freedom from, is uh, a certain freedom from greed, freedom from ill will, freedom from ignorance, freedom from wrong view, and pride and conceit, and certain so on and so forth. And even though we may be experiencing and enjoying you know, the freedom as a license or the freedom to do whatever we like or whatever we want to say, yet it does not necessarily mean that we have the second type of freedom. Now, the question then is, among these two, which one is more profound and more important? Now, if we enjoy freedom as a license to say whatever we like, to do whatever we like, and also to think whatever we like, then this may, or this does not mean that we are entirely free. 
And so it means that we still have many things, inner conditions to work with that are actually limiting our freedom. Now, when we think of a great certain king, who has all the powers at his disposal. And so he can order whatever he likes at any time of the day or the night. And so his orders will be fulfilled right away. Then we could consider this to be freedom as a license. However, just uh, think of uh, the king of uh, his majesty, uh, the king of uh, Nepal, uh, who uh, then uh, was, whose palace was uh, surrounded by uh, over a million uh, people demanding his uh, resignation. So even though the uh, security forces were posted around uh, the royal palace, did he really enjoy that second type of footner freedom, namely freedom from? So just put yourselves in the king's position. How would you have felt? When your life is under threat, you don't know how this is going to end. And uh, um, you know, any time you know, could suddenly the crowd suddenly break uh, loose. And then what would happen? Could be the end of him. And in terms of mental states, uh, uh, which mental states are would be likely to arise in his mind? What's that? Fear. fear. There you go. You know, tremendous uh, fear, and uh, also you know, plenty of uh, worries and uh, anxiety, and uh, so on. And so uh, the good man will have probably feared a lot for his own life and also that of his family and also feared of losing all his many material possessions. So what this case then um, shows is that even though you know, the king at the time had so many powers at his disposal and he had the security you know, forces you know, posted around you know, the royal palace, yet he was uh, not a free man. He was inwardly you know, rather, um, rather a slave of his own mind. And thus, it follows, true freedom is the second kind of freedom. So the freedom from, the freedom from unwholesome mental states. Of course, it's good to enjoy the freedom as a license to do, to say, to think whatever one likes, but it's ideally should be complemented by the second certain kind of freedom. Now, when we uh, undertake 
the meditation practice and we carefully observe whatever predominant certain formation arises in you know, the body and in you know, the mind, you know, then you know, we come to realize certain quite certain quickly that uh, we are indeed the victim in you know, of certain mental defilements in many you know, different certain you know, ways. And as has been explained in earlier Dhamma talks, if a particular enticing object arises and we see it, then this is likely, in the case of an absence of mindfulness, to lead to the arising of a pleasant feeling. And certainly then, if we're not certainly careful, if we don't you know, pay attention to it, you know, this, then the pleasant feeling may easily you know, lead to the arising of liking, and certainly you know, the liking you know, then may lead certainly you know, to you know, craving and certainly you know, clinging, etc. And with this, certainly we are with with this thing. We've become uh, a victim of certain craving and certain clinging. Or mm, again, in the you know, case of uh, or in the absence of certain mindfulness, you know, when we come across an undesirable you know, object, we see it, we hear it, we smell it, etc. And certainly then you know, an unpleasant feeling is likely you know, to arise. And certainly then you know, based on you know, this, it's certainly you know, very likely you know, that certain maybe you know, uh, ill will arises and certainly you know, the ill will you know, might uh, you know, then even lead to no uh, thoughts of, uh, ang of or may lead to angry thoughts. And certainly, so in this way, you know, we become um, a victim or a slave you know, to uh, anger. And certainly, when coming across an, you know, a bl an object with bland you know, features, so you know, it's not that certainly you know, distinct, you know, then again, in the absence of you know, mindfulness, a neutral feeling is likely to arise, and certainly you know, this certainly you know, then is likely to induce uh, uh, ignorance. And certainly with this certainly you know, then you know, we become a um, slave you know, to you know, ignorance. And so, rather than you know, being a master over our mind and a master in you know, the sense that you know, we can really you know, control the mind and you know, can ensure you know, that wholesome you know, mental states you know, arise, we uh, are you know, a slave you know, to the mind. And this then obviously is not a case of true freedom. So when we look at the Buddha's teachings, then we can say that these teachings in one way or another are all geared towards gaining more and more inner freedom. And 
This certain inner freedom then in the long run is certainly going to contribute towards the arising of peace and happiness. Now, this certain inner freedom does certainly not arise all at once. No, but certainly rather you know, we have to you know, work you know, for it and certainly every time we are you know, really you know, mindful, deeply you know, mindful of what's you know, going on, concentration is you know, there and intuitive wisdom is you know, or arises in you know, the mind, then you know, we can say at least you know, during you know, those certain you know, moments you know, will you know, we be free you know, from you know, the arising of unwholesome you know, mental states and you know, thus you know, certain temporary you know, freedom will be there. However, you know, this or this temporary freedom is good, but not certainly good enough, and so you know, we need to you know, take it a step but, you know, further. And certainly, you know, this happens you know, by you know, gradually you know, developing our meditation practice, you know, bringing um, the enlightenment certain you know, factors to you know, perfection, and certainly then ultimately you know, by realizing path and noble path in certain you know, fruition knowledge. And it is with the realization of the noble path knowledge that certain mental defilements like the wrongful belief in the existence of the self and then as skeptical doubt, as well as certainly the wrongful belief in rites and certain rituals, that these certainly will be uprooted from the stream of consciousness. These certain three are specifically known as certain three fetters. And in terms of mental defilements, they boil down to two things, namely wrong view and then skeptical doubt. Now, once certain noble path knowledge has arisen in our practice, then these certain three fetters are gone forever and will not plague us anymore. And to that certain degree will we have gained inner freedom. Now, Having gained this much freedom, does it mean that all of our life problems are solved or not? Not. And so much in terms of mental defilements remains. Just think of greed, just think of the many forms of ill will. And then think of the pride and conceit, restlessness, and then uh, remorse and certain uh, sloth and torpor and certain uh, ignorance. So, and if we then continue 
with our meditation practice and suddenly deepen it more and more, then sooner or later the respective attainments will supermundane attainments will be there and set with them then the corresponding fetters or mental defilements will be cut off once and forever. So it is in this way that gradually we gain inner freedom, we gain a taste of this, we get first gain a taste of freedom and then ultimately it becomes total inner freedom. Now, in this context, there are a couple of Dhammapada verses that are quite helpful to know. For one thing, we have Dhammapada verse number 37, which says, and I think we have mentioned this already in an earlier Dhamma talk, namely, the mind wanders far and moves about alone. It is non-material, it lies in the cave. Those who control their mind will be free from the bonds of Mara. So here, Mokanti, Mara, Bandana are the two corresponding Pali terms. And Mokanti means to be free, and Satna Mokha is a Pali term that is another Pali term that also means Satna freedom. Now, sometimes the Buddha's teachings have been described or referred to as being overly pessimistic because they speak of suffering all the time. And is this kind of a statement really applicable or not? Well, what do you think? Yes, indeed. And uh, with this then, and also you know, there is at least a temporary you know, cessation of you know, suffering. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, such kind of a statement is not quite balanced, and we need to remember that the Buddha speaks not just about the existence of suffering, but he also speaks about the cessation of suffering, and that there is a path leading to it, that there is emancipation from suffering, and from the burdens of existence. Now, even though 
the Buddha that has certainly given a very precise liberation teachings, not everyone is certainly ready to follow them. And so it happens time and again that certain people who, in general, are quite certainly committed to the Buddha's teachings avoid this part or that part. And certainly, so rather than going on an intensive retreat and really facing what is occurring within, they then get lost in social projects, working for the wealth, for let's say, well, the welfare of others. Now. This certain kind of an approach will not necessarily lead to true freedom. And so the Buddha states in Dhammapada, as is recorded in Dhammapada, verse 166, for the sake of another's benefit, however great it may be, do not neglect your own moral benefit clear or spiritual benefit, clearly perceiving one's own benefit, one should make every effort to attain it. Now, what here is certainly meant by one's own spiritual benefit, according to the commentary, are things such as the realization of the noble and supermundane and certainly noble path knowledge and certainly fruition and nibbana. So if we spend our time well performing acts of generosity, this is certainly great and certainly surely we gain many merits in this way and certainly also by keeping the precepts, but there's no guarantee that this will really lead to a realization of the Dhamma. And thus it is important to keep one's own spiritual benefit in view and to pursue it in a clear-cut manner. Now, in a different way, the Buddha then restates this certain point as is certainly recorded in Dhammapada verse 75 where it says, Indeed, the path that leads to worldly gain is one, and the path that leads to Nibbana is another. Fully comprehending this, the meditator retreatant, the disciple of the Buddha should not take delight in worldly gain and honor, but devote himself or herself to solitude, detachment, and the realization of Nibbana. Now, the practical implication here is that as we go through life, that it would be good to schedule a retreat at least once a year 
in order to pursue our truthness, our own truthness, spiritual benefit. Of course, we all need to work and earn a living, but this doesn't mean that we need to neglect our own spiritual benefit. These things can be combined. Now, sometimes you know, there are you know, human beings, and actually there are quite you know, a number, who, you know, when a problem, a social you know, problem you know, has arisen, tend to you not know, engage in finger-pointing. And the finger-pointing, most of the time, goes in which direction? Outside or you know, towards oneself? <laughs> Well, as Peter is indicating already, it certainly goes towards the other person or a group of people. So it's always the other who is at fault, and we ourselves are always the angels. Now, in this regard, and the Buddha has something important to say, as is recorded in Dhammapada verse 165. By oneself, indeed, is unwholesomeness done, and by oneself is one defiled. By oneself is unwholesomeness not done, and by oneself is one purified. Purity and impurity depend entirely on oneself. No one can purify another. So you cannot purify your parents, and your parents cannot purify you. And your teacher will not be able to purify you, and nor will you be able to purify your teacher. And so, in the end, this spiritual work of purifying the mind of its many impurities is with us. We have to do it ourselves. There is just no way around it. Now, if we take this challenge and suddenly we then try to do this work of purification that leads to more and more true inner freedom, then we can attain a refuge. In Dhammapada verse 160, it says, one indeed is one's own refuge. How can others be a refuge to one? With oneself thoroughly tamed, one can attain a refuge, namely the path and fruition of arahanship, arata, maga, and pala, which is so difficult to attain. Now, in pursuing the Buddha's Satna Dhamma, we, by working and certainly then on occasion doing an intensive retreat, 
geared towards sadhana mental development. We may not, as sadhana one uh, author has sadhana put it, become very wealthy in terms of you know of owning land land property, possessing land property, but we are likely to gain what is known as certain spiritual treasures. Dana is the party term for this. And this term is spelled D-H-A-N-A and to be differentiated from the term dana, which means sadhana generosity. Now, those sadhana treasures that sadhana we are likely to gain in the course of our spiritual work are known as sadhana, the treasure of faith, namely sadhana, then the treasure of virtue, sila dana, then the, the treasure of moral shame, hiri dana, then the treasure of moral dread, otapadana and pani, then the a treasure of learning, sutta nadana, then of liberality, chaga nadana, and certainly finally of wisdom, panya nadana. Now, <clears throat> just to explain one or two of or a few of these, if you think in terms of faith, we've when we started out with our interest in meditation practice, back then our faith will probably have been pretty weak. And as we then do retreat after retreat and gain more and more understanding of how this mind and or how the mind and the body operate and we see how one gets sudden caught here and there one sees well destructive mental patterns etc with this and one also learns how to overcome them and replace them with more wholesome more constructive patterns with this then our faith in the Dhamma gradually grows more and more. Basically, with every intuitive insight and knowledge, our faith is to increase further. Now, eventually, when the proper conditions are present, then no, no path, noble path and fresh knowledge are likely you know, to take place and it is within the reach of every you know, one you know, here in you know, this group of you know, retreatants. You know, then you know, with this, our you know, faith you know, becomes unshakable faith. So if earlier on you weren't quite sure is this really the right uh, you know, path or not, you know, then having gained you know, the Dhamma all you know, this wavering, the insecurity you know, will you know, simply uh, go. 
and certainly that is a major change in one's life. Now, if you think of your behavior, your physical and or your conduct, physical and mental conduct in the past, let's say prior to engaging in Buddhist meditation practice, then your um, ethical conduct on occasion may not have been all uh, that uh, uh, pure. I'm not saying it must, uh, it was always like this, but it's uh, at least a possibility. And uh, when uh, we uh, then follow you know, the liberation teachings of uh, the Buddha, which includes teachings on uh, virtue, nesila, uh, then gradually all of this satna uh, changes, and satna uh, then our uh, uh, ethical conduct becomes impeccable. And satna uh, this then uh, will be a source of satna uh, joy for ourselves, and will also be a source of joy for others, and others will then start placing trust in ourselves, and so this satna usually makes for much respect. So. When you compare it like this, then it becomes obvious that virtue itself then becomes a treasure, in particular when one observes the precepts in an impeccable manner without certainly breaking them in one way or another. So it is said in you know, the Diganikaya you know, volume 3, you know, section 164, and I'm, uh, that these seven factors of noble wealth, Ariyadana, are the best of riches, Anuttaram uh, Uttamam Danagam. Now, to conclude you know, today's Satna Dhamma talk with uh, another you know, Dhammapada you know, verse, namely 276, you yourselves should make you know, the effort. The Tathagatas, namely the Buddhas, can only show you know, the way. You know, those who practice you know, tranquility, or let's say who practice the meditation of calm and certain insight are freed from the bond of Mara. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.